Welcome to Whisker Dice. I am your host, the Conzie with the most, and I am joined by this illustrious crew of individuals. Who do I have here? Brian's here, sometimes known as Stark Raven Man. Hey everybody, this is Justin, the Meeple's Champion. And I am Matt, the Ghost Walker. And this is Suzanne. This is episode 90 of the Whisker Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is March 9th, 2022, and on today's episode, we are going to cover our top pet peeves at the gaming table. There should be lots of controversy on that one. Our hobby corner, where we catch up on our miniature painting projects we have been working on. But first, let's dive into what games we have been playing all right, so the first one on this topic is a game that we actually got out this week, and I believe everybody here actually played it this week. So it's a game that's called Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It is published by Stonemeyer Games. It is a playtime of about 45 to 60 minutes, which I feel was pretty accurate with how long it took us to play it. Uh, it can have three to seven people, but there is apparently a two-player variant. Uh, we had, like I said, all of the hosts here actually got an opportunity to play it this week. Um, it's a very interesting game. It's a mashup between the mechanics from two other games. The one is called The Castles of Mad King Ludwig, which is by Bazier Games, and Between Two Cities, which is another Stonemeyer Games. It's got this very nice, super convenient setup. Everything's in this nice little tray. You can just pull it straight out and get it out on the table very quickly. I like to think it has some very unique, I, I call it semi-cooperative elements. Each player is teaming up with the players on each side of them, and you're building two separate castles as part of the game. And you basically, it goes in two rounds. You get dealt, I call it a hand, so to speak, of tiles. And you start by trying to pick two tiles, one for each of the castles on either side of you. And then at then what you're going to do is pass whatever remains, either clockwise or counterclockwise, depending on whether you're in the first half of the game or the second half of the game. So really, the, the, the thing that I find really fascinating about this one was the scoring mechanics, because every different type of tile, and they have different, all of them do different things, have different scoring mechanics. Some of them score if you're have other things with a similar symbol touching them. Others are might score for things that are immediately to the left or right or anything that's up or down or other times it might be everything that's above it or below it in a, in a column. There's also special tiles and things you can earn if you get a certain number of different rooms. So if you get four or three food rooms, you get to a special thing. If you get three sleeping rooms, you get a special thing to put in your in your castle. But what I found one of the most interesting things is your score at the end of the game is the lowest scoring castle you have. So it kind of forces you to understand the scoring well enough to know that, you know, I might be building up the person on my right to have this amazing 80-point castle. And if my castle on my left is a 50 point castle my score at the end of the game is 50 points so it, it, it led to some interesting dynamics where in, in our particular game when we played it i think uh, ben and i ended up making two amazing castles him on his left and i put on my right 
in conjunction with the Stark Raving Mad one, and our other castles were not nearly as impressive. So we scored very, <laughs> very poorly, but Brian seemed to do very well with our assistance. So, uh, but it was an interesting because I think almost everybody at the table was within, with the exception of Brian, was within what one to one to three points. It was very interesting to see how that score played out at the end of the game. Yeah, even my lower winning castle wasn't too far. Our one castle that we got pretty high somehow. Yeah, that we did, but. Yeah. It was an interesting score, that's for sure. Yeah, because it wasn't like one of them was like 80 points and the other one was like 67 or something. but Something like that. Yeah. But, but yeah, I... it was a really interesting mechanic how it works out. That somebody still wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it was the nice thing is I felt like it played so quickly. You could easily put everything away or you and pull out another game or you could put that reef shuffle the tiles and pull it out and play it two or three times in a night really, really quickly. So, and like I said, it, you know, and the other thing is, is if you are going to play it multiple times in a sitting, consider rotating where people sit, because that's going to give them different dynamics with who they're building a castle with or something like that. So um, anybody have any other comments from, from our play this week, thoughts you had on the game? One other thing I, I really like about this game is it's a pretty good one for teaching to non-gamers. It's it's, you know, maybe on the a little more board gamey side for a non gamer in terms of like the scoring, but playing the game really is is fairly simple. You pick a tile and put it in the castle somewhere. Optimizing that is the challenge. Collaborating with each person that you're playing with to not neglect either castle in terms of just learning and the basic mechanics. People who don't play games could easily pick this up and start to see some of those. Uh, scoring opportunities and combos and how to kind of position things properly. So I like to to use this for like a, a group of people who don't game a lot as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point. And I think it also, with that semi-cooperative aspect, it encourages the more skilled players to teach those non-skilled players like, oh, you could score more points if you put this tile here. Or, you know, look at look at what this one does. You can see it scores better if you put it over here versus there. That's a great point. A new player is not on their own. They've they've got two people helping them the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I didn't do very well with this game that I will try and do better the next game is when you are passing to one of your co-builders, and if you have tiles in your hand and you're like these two would be a great you know combination for our castle think about which one you are going to take that's going to encourage them to take the other one like you want to take two of them but one's a little bit more obvious than the other that you want to have because i notice a lot of times i would ask to one of my partners and thinking, oh, they're for sure going to take this one and see this, and it wasn't as obvious to them, and we'd lose out on some points. So mm -hmm. just sure. something for me to do the that's next like time I play it. That's like big brain game. So. Yeah, advanced, I didn't even think about strategy. that. Oh. <laughs> no, Brian and I just stumbled upon like an 80-point castle without even thinking about it. So Yours had lots of stairs to go straight up and down. You had that one deep like basement section that was just yeah. decked and then it went up into a super tall tower right we, we believed very yeah that one really doubled down on that story 
<laughs> so like like if Justin and I could have turned ours 90 degrees, we would have had the same thing, if not better. <laughs> <laughs> we had a very long castle, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. No steps, just lots of ground walking. Yep. Good so. deal. I don't know, Ben, what did you think of this game? Did you play it again with me? I definitely would enjoy playing this game again. This was a game that was on my radar to check out. Uh, I had a fun time playing it, even though I didn't win. Uh, I will say, you know, add to your point, Suzanne, with uh, paying attention and, and kind of drafting friendly to your partner, uh, or your partner, whoever you're passing to. But the other piece that I think if you played this enough, you also, like many drafting games, there is a certain amount of paying attention to the what the people are doing that you are not passing to, but could potentially get tiles and doing a little hate drafting as well. <laughs> because, you know, that never happens in a drafting game. Uh, what I mean by hate drafting is that you purposely take a tile that would clearly benefit uh, one of the other teams or players, but ensuring that they don't get the tile. Like in our game, uh, for example, food tiles, or no, sleeping quarter tiles were incredibly rare the first part of the game. So one of the castles that I was working on, the one that uh, I shared with Brian, well, we kind of stumbled into the first sleeping quarters, which I think might have been the only mm -hmm. sleeping quarters that came out that entire first first round of it. But uh, we, I purposely was grabbing sleeping quarters tiles and just jamming them into that castle to try to keep them away from the rest of the table when, you know, I could hear them all groaning about uh, needing sleeping quarters. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, you know, it's, I, I like those kind of things and being able to do those kind of things with a game like this as well. So um, yeah, great. Uh, good game. Yeah. Uh, solid game. I'll look forward to playing it again. So our next game is, Maracaibo. This is published by Capstone Games and uh, designed by Alexander Pfister, who is probably best known for Great Western Trail. This is a game for two to four players. Takes about three hours, maybe a little less, depending depending on on how you play. This is something that Ben and myself and Suzanne have all played. So in Maracaibo, players uh, are going to sail their ship through the Caribbean in the 17th century, stopping at cities, villages, delivering goods, hiring assistants, upgrading their ship, and increasing their influence with England, Spain, and France as each of those nations establishes its presence on the islands in the Caribbean. During the game, you manage a hand of multi-use cards, which you can use to deliver goods to cities, hire assistants to place out onto the map that you can go visit and use their special abilities, special actions. You might purchase cards to provide you ongoing benefits or also use them to complete quests and help you meet your end game objectives. I think for the, for the complexity and, and the amount of options that this game provides, it plays really smoothly. Each turn, you get to choose how far your ship is going to sail on a route around the, the sort of uh, island area. And 
you choose where you stop and that determines what action that you take you kind of do four loops around the islands and everybody kind of follows around the the circle on the islands almost like a rondelle mechanism something similar to what great western trail does as you sort of progress through the board you can take alternating paths but eventually you'll loop back to the start again um uh, Mario Kart also features a campaign mode where you play through different scenarios that has a light storyline to it. I can't comment too much about that. I haven't played the campaign. I've played this a couple times with myself and my wife, and then I also played with Ben recently. This I, I really like this game. I think I, I want to get this to the table more and get have you, some of you guys play this as well. Really cool game. Ben, Suzanne, what, what are your thoughts on this one? So I enjoy Mario Kaibo and I, I enjoy it a lot and I'll compare it to another game that's similar theme that I've played before in Merchants and Marauders. Now the games mechanically are completely different games, but if you're looking for a game that's themed around uh, piracy and privateering and the Caribbean Isles, uh, around that like 1600s, 1500s, 1600s, or 1600s, 1700s time frame, I think it is what roughly the time set is. Uh, of those two, Mar- I find that Mari Kaibo is by far the superior game. And that's not taking a lot away from Merchants and Marauders. It was at one point in my collection, but uh, Merchants and Marauders is a pickup and delivery game, and it tends to take a long time for it to build. And you're gonna just, you might as well, you're gonna be very ready to sit down and play that game. And you're you're gonna play that game all day, and till you finally get to a conclu- uh, st- uh, the conclusion. Whereas this, you're already into it, and you're at some level of influential privateering. And yes, you're. Uh, as you play the game, you build and build, and you get better. You're, you will slowly get things better and more well optimized for yourself. But it's the it plays in a much better, more more reasonable amount of playtime. It feels just just all the actions feel far more satisfying. It, yeah, I don't. You don't have this sl- really slow build up. You're just doing things that are actually sad are are actually good things to do. And like, oh, hey, like this and this. And for new players, it's really easy. Like, okay, we'll just do this one. Th- this this one action is pretty obvious. Just do that, and once you do that, that first that first action, you completely get the game. Like you totally understand how to do everything. And it's like that very first little island you can go to from the start point. If you're new, just do that for your first turn. It's simple. Of course, in the game we played, four players at Cabin Con. Of course, that's not what I did. <laughs> did after telling all the new players <laughs> that were at our table that this is probably what they should do. But uh, it, it's. Yeah, I, w- I want to get it back to the table. It definitely had a different play experience as well from a four to a two-player game. Yeah, I would be interested to play it with more than two. I've only ever played it with Ben, and we've played it at different levels. Not the campaign yet. I do want to do that, but we have had several other campaign games going, so this has been one we've put off. You can do like low, medium, and difficult complexity with it which do does change up the game a bit which is nice as well as the different admiral cards to help you also figure out what to 
focus on, as Ben was talking, they started that first island, but having these different admirals or captains, I forget which what they are, makes it a very accessible game for other people. And yeah, so I agree. If we can get this out on another game night coming up, that would be great. Uh, it's a enjoy playing it with Ben, but are we tied, Ben, with who, how it wins? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, I just can't beat him consistently, so need a different challenge. <laughs> one one nice thing about the campaign with this one, too, is uh, it it can be picked up and put down by anybody. So there's not permanent changes to player components or something like that. So you can advance the storyline with a new group uh, without really losing too much, unless you really just want to see the whole story yourself with the same group of people but it can be uh you can drop in to the campaign with really no no problem so uh, might make it easier to to get through that <laughs> i would say that's an important distinction here this is a campaign game or an option to play it as a campaign game and that's not a legacy game legacy right. games you tend to destroy components you permanently change the game over the course of the play and oftentimes you're not able to play the game anymore after the legacy campaign is complete. In a campaign game, it's, oh, hey, I have all the components. I just either reset it to back to the base square one, or sure, I can pick it up, as Justin mentioned, from Arkebo in the middle of it and play with other other people. It's very flexible in that regards because nothing is ever getting permanently fixed or changed as far as from the game components, which makes replayability for a campaign game amazing. Yes, that should be a really good thing. And if you want to add additional pirate theme, I do want to add to this game. You do it the way Ben and I did for Board Game Brunch a few Sundays ago, and you make guacamole and you drink bumbo. And you know, having some warmed rum <laughs> with sugar drink and a sugary guacamole while you're eating while you're playing just adds to the experience. That sounds perfect. <laughs> it is. So. so that was that was Maracaibo. All right. Yeah, it's a great game. Yeah. So let's go ahead then and dive into our hobby corner for this week. I'll turn that over to the Stark, the Raving, the Mad One himself. What's What hobby have you been working on, bud? Yeah, I guess I was the one to have the hobby on lockdown. This yeah. go around. Um, yeah, still thanks for pointing that my... out. <laughs> my skeletons if there's one time i ever like painted more than ben it probably just happened um so i was still working on my skeletons um i got another set of five of those done i think they were probably in progress during the last show i'm still getting quite a kick out of painting those um, for the whole vc project i'm actually getting pretty close like once those skeletons are busted out i just have like a unit of grave garden that was kind of my target for whatever it was last year i guess um so that's pretty exciting to have um that coming along and then i don't think it's come up on the sh on the show yet um but ben and i are headed to adepticon this year um playing in a few events uh got batman battle for the cowl each of us are playing in that and then there's also a bolt action doubles tournament so lists were due this week. We had figured it out like last week already, um, what we were going to play. 
going with the back uh, with the double US platoon again, like we had done last time we did doubles. A little different though, we're both playing uh, like infantry mostly in our half. I guess Ben, you do have a few vehicles in your half, um, but still we have like a lot of infantry in our force. It's only like uh, 1400 points, which I feel is less than last year. Less than um, I think it's less. It felt like less, but I don't. I didn't even count how many infantry we have, but I know there's more than like a hundred dudes, which is pretty big for a bolt action force. I would say, even at that points level. And then your stuff's all packed, and I guess your U.S. Uh, forces in kind of various states of models you've started, and uh, other ones you've collected from other people and stuff like that. So we're to keep a little bit of like uh, whatever cohesiveness, we're gonna try and do all my models. Um, so even though I have quite a bit of infantry, it wasn't enough for the size of force we have going on. So I actually built up all the rest of the infantry I already owned. Um, so I guess I have like 16 more models I'm making. Um, I've actually made pretty good progress on it. Actually, uh, you'll see the pick in the show notes, but I have them faced and I just started painting. I uh, was probably Sunday or Monday or something like that. I first started getting some of the colors on. So we're two weeks out from Adepticon today. I think I should make it pretty handily, assuming other life things don't get in the way. And the bolt action stuff, I'm still painting really quick. So it's just like a base coat and wash kind of situation. So at this, by this point, I have it down pretty good and easy. Yeah, I'm looking really forward to the Bolt Action Doubles uh, event. Uh, we had a, I don't was it three, four years ago now? We we did doubles, and yeah, I, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, it would have been maybe a little better if we could have finished or gotten a little bit further in a couple of our games, because I think we, were, we would have pulled wins, but uh, instead they were draws or potentially losses. For I don't think we had any losses. I think we just ended up with draws. This list, I, I think our list is designed <laughs> to to at least get to draws, and uh, maybe we can pick out enough wins to to be good. But either way, it's it's going to be fun, and that's that's yes. what's important. Yeah, it should be a blast. I don't think either of us have played a whole lot of bolt action recently, so my main goal is to show up and kind of have some fun. I actually saw the list loadout. He had posted kind of the distribution of forces. There's quite a lot of U.S. forces and also a little more armored platoons than I thought. Like, as I'm wondering how that's going to go. Yeah, I think we have enough anti-armor stuff, but yeah. I'm interested how it'll play out. It should be a good time. I do have a Warhammer Fantasy Battles event that I'm supposed to participate in. I got the rules pack, and I'm not 100% sure how many points I'm supposed to be able to build my list for based on their, their rules pack. But, uh, it's yeah, there will actually be a Warhammer Fantasy Battles 8th edition event at Adepticon this year. And uh, if things... If I don't decide last minute here to back out because I can't figure out the rules pack and would prefer to have half a day to uh, chill out back here in Madison before heading down, I will be participating in that as well. Sounds very cool. Someday I'll have my stuff painted for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah someday. All right, let's uh, let gets us kind of through our hobby corner that just really was the fast about the fastest hobby corner I think we've ever had. It's mostly... Uh, 
means the rest of us have been slacking. I'm pretty confident uh, Brian just guilted us all into getting some hobby done next month. So we'll <laughs> we'll see what happens. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into our main topic and all of our pet peeves. Hey folks, this is the Conzie of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick and mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. And we're back. Okay, so we wanted to talk to talk about our pet peeves uh, at the game table. I suspect that all of us and you as our listeners have some of these in common. These could be things that other players are doing. These could be peeves about the play space. These could be peeves about something that bothers us about games just our top pet peeves at the game table our goal here isn't to rant about these things or get upset or angry about these things that frustrate us rather it's to bring awareness to these things because if you talk about them if you bring them up then it creates awareness and when you have awareness it allows us all to become better players at the table. If you find that the pit peeves uh, that you have with your other players at your game table, we certainly recommend that you find a way to have a discussion with those players about them. Far, far too many times do people get upset about something that happened at the game table all to come out, come down to the fact that no one would just open up and say, hey, that bothers me. In fact, I can say, looking at some of the peeves that were on this list, I was a little surprised to see a couple of them here on this list from people that I play with all of the time. Ultimately, if you talk about it, you know it's out in the open, and this should lead to everyone having a better time at the game table. So with that, kind of setting up the stage, let's dive into pet peeve number three. Pet peeve here is the messy, disorganized game space. And honestly, like the last time at a game night here at the house, I felt peeved about my own game space. And that's Something we normally take a lot of pride to have, like, you know, we take time to actually clean up the house. We take time to make sure everything's, you know, in relatively decent order. But, hey, in my defense, we are in the middle of a move. Um, so there are boxes packed everywhere. But I've been to friends' houses. We were talking about it in pre-recording about a, a certain individual's house. And it was just filth everywhere. If I'm not comfortable in the space it already sets up for a negative gaming experience. 
And, you know, if I feel like I just want to run away, how am I going to have fun at the game table? So that's definitely a pet peeve of mine. I don't expect things to be spotless. I'm not a spotless kind of person, but, you know, that gaming, having the right atmosphere at the game table really does, for me, make make the experience much more welcoming and able to have a good time with it. I would totally agree on it, but it wasn't something I totally thought about and I was kind of surprised in the direction you went with it more about you know just the broader space in general rather than just like a messy whatever game arrangement on the table so that was pretty interesting i guess i'll jump into mine next um i didn't really have a real strong third one so i just kind of put some things that kind of came out there i think you'll kind of see some recurring themes of some of our choices on here i didn't have too much to complain about actual like games themselves so a lot of mine focus more on the people and i guess a lot of my bad experiences come from in miniature games where you don't know your opponents all the time when you're at like a tournament or whatever kind of thing getting into my first one is just kind of like a general bad attitude or like if somebody's like being mean like specifically or like condescending and a lot of times in tournaments, like you might have one of those opponents. It could be like a higher stakes game where everybody's kind of on edge already. And then like every like it doesn't happen as much in board games since I guess the rules are probably a lot less open to interpretation. But just like where every move you make on the table, it comes down to like an argument about how the rules go, and it just kind of gets up can get out of hand sometimes. You know that's not going to be a fun game for anybody. So that's just kind of got to kind of check yourself and tone it down a little bit there. Like if you're getting that into it, like the game's meant to be fun. Like I know at tournaments, there's some pressure to win or whatever like that. But if it's kind of like that, that important to win or argue about like every single thing, like just kind of take a step back and um, remember to focus on like why you're there to enjoy and play the game. And I think, Things like that will kind of come up throughout most of our choices here. One of the other things that come up in mini games a lot less than board games would be like if you don't have everything that you need to play. Like I'm not talking about just like having to be forgetting something for a given game or whatever and not discouraging anybody like new getting into a game. Like if you don't have everything you need yet, but I know it's come up on our show before, like really bad proxied armies and stuff like that or just like really trashly painted you can tell like they don't really care about the miniatures at all and then if you have a bad gaming experience combined with that i know that's one of your recurring uh stories then where you had a bad experience or somebody had like really bad minis you couldn't even tell what the heck they were kind of thing and then you're supposed to be playing against them it just kind of sets everything off on kind of the wrong edge so any kind of stand-in models they should still kind of make sense for what they are i know at least at the tail end of Warhammer when I was in it, like people are really pushing the extremes of conversions and stuff like that. And sometimes, you know, you'd have minis that don't like, well, it's playing as this army, but they don't really correspond at all. Those are kind of hard to deal with, but still, if you check ahead of time with your opponent, sure, whatever, it's all good. But I guess that's more of an awareness thing. Like if you're new to the game and need some demos or you don't have something built yet, just make your opponent aware ahead of time and, I'm sure people are more willing to be accommodated. So that's kind of some unique things specific to more like miniature war gaming than 
anything that would come up in board gaming. You referred to the famous Ben story about being at <laughs> Wapaka, which was well known for players bringing the pride of their miniature hobby and playing, I think it was like, I don't remember which year, but second round, I think it was. It was like the second, at least the second game of the day for me, playing against a Chaos Army, which at the time was one of the more overpowered armies in the game. All of the models were the cheapest orc models that money could buy with, I can't remember what he had for Hellblasters anymore. I think he had something from war, from the War Machine line. And it literally, I think, I think Suzanne could have painted that army better with her dump it in pink methodology. Because it, it, like, you could see gray plastic, you could splotch it, and then he would take the army and just throw it in a shoebox and transport it. And there was, like, when it came to, like, having your armies out for display, he never bothered to have it out for display because he knew it was a joke. And it was, like, you pay, like, for me, it's a weekend where you're paying, I don't know, I probably pay, probably spent five, six hundred dollars or more that weekend at a point in my life where I didn't have a lot of money to begin with. And then it's like, come on, man, that's the effort you could put forth. I painted like 250 night goblins and you couldn't even be bothered to paint your like your 40 orcs that you put on the table. Like, come on, man. (laughs) ESPN, please don't sue us for that. Uh, (laughs) All right. Yeah, so that's a that's a pretty pretty famous story that I've told repeatedly now on the show. So, anyways, why don't we dive into Justin's third pet peeve? Yeah, so my number three is just board games, complex board games, I should say, without a player aid. If you got a complex game, the best thing you can do to help new people is to give them a player aid to just summarize some of the some of the basic rules and have them be able to follow along on a teach and read along. Yeah, just a just a small one. I think games games that are above a certain complexity should always have a player aid. Simple. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. A handy remedy for that is <laughs> if the game manufacturer like doesn't support one like with the internet nowadays, a lot of times you can find one. But still yeah, sure. publishers should step it up a notch. <laughs> I don't know anybody who's done that, Ben, for Batman. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, I think mine kind of goes along a similar vein because, you know, in other cases, I, I think I focused on different things. But one of the things that really bothers me in it is I don't play maybe that many. I mean, I think definitely Ben and Justin own much and Suzanne own a lot more games than I do. but. I've played a few games where I always like to read the manual and sometimes the manuals for some of the more complex games are just not that good at explaining some of the weirder scenarios. And I just drives me nuts when I either have to read the manual and then I have to watch another video to figure out how it's played just to figure out how to even get it on the table. Sometimes that just drives me nuts because it's just like, okay, you put all this effort into making a wonderful game in many cases with great components and good quality, but the manual just sucks and it's very difficult to understand, you know, something or, you know, I hate to say it. Sometimes you, you play it with somebody twice before somebody who knows how to play the game is like, 
that's not how that rule works. And you're just like, <sighs> so, you know, my, my tip for board game manufacturers is, you know, give, give the manual to non gamers, make sure it makes sense to them, make sure they could put it on the table. Maybe they won't understand all the scoring, but you know, they should be able to at least get it on the table and understand the rules. So, uh, just kind of one of my personal pet peeves. So. Yeah, I was just going to add to Matt's real quick that one thing I like with some of the uh, crunchier, more complex games that maybe do have, you know, an 80-page book for the rules because there's a lot of complexity in there that ends up being a reference guide. I love when they have a whole separate little thin quick start guide. You know, set it up. Here's how you set it up. Here's how you do a basic turn, kind of go into Justin's, have a, you know, player aid, and then reference when you do different scenarios, reference this other one. Um, I think Nemesis does that a little bit, right, Ben? Or am I thinking of uh, a different game that we played uh, recently that has a, but. You're, the Fantasy Flight Games is very classic for using that exact style right now for their rule books. You have the learn a play guide, and then you have the actual rules compendium kind of book, right? So that you can kind of get through that first play of here's how the game works and stumble kind of through it. And, and here's like a very basic setup. And then, okay, now let's take it to the next layer of complexity. I was going to point out Nemesis hits both Justin's and Matt's pet peeve for me. <laughs> the, yes, there's a kind of a player aid that's built into your player board, which is, hey, it's kind of there. But playing the core of the original Nemesis game... I find myself constantly having to dig dig for things in the rule book that should be on a bloody player aid. <laughs> and I hate the rule book because it's not organized in a way that works with my brain. It's probably it 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 feels like a very well-written rule book, uh but it I'm constantly struggling to locate the rules that aren't on the player aid and aren't necessarily they're like buried in sections because everything is like you get a little section of rules and then it'll tell you for this other thing go to this other page in the rule book to find it. like ah it's a choose your own adventure rule book it is <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the real game what, what's the rule if i can't find it in five minutes then i get to make it up yeah well then you just whatever page you're on you just use that rule it's nemesis it you just all fine. die so. Well, that that is true, Ben. I mean, what is it like eighty, ninety percent death rate or something? I haven't survived it yet in like three or four plays. So, oh, we'll have to play it again. So, my pe number three pet peeve is not so much with the games or how they're designed or the environment that you're playing them in. It's with your companions that you are playing with. It's that they are not planning ahead or paying attention to the game. I'm not saying analysis paralysis. I get that, but at least I want someone to be thinking and knowing what their options are. So when you get to them, it's not a knock, knock, it's your turn or, oh, my turn type of thing, having no clue and then going, okay, so what are the options I can do right here? And going and having to think through everything, asking a bunch of questions, Basically, like, their every turn is their first turn ever with this game. So that's probably a little bit extreme. 
for myself. <laughs> I'm playing the game for fun, and I can be very competitive. Ben knows that. But at the same time, I like to have, okay, here are my three or four options, depending on what happens before me. So I think my thing is just, you know, you're you're sitting down to play this game, you're agreeing to play the game, put a little bit of a commitment in there. Everyone has an off day where things just aren't working with it for them mentally, maybe, but do what you can and try <laughs> to be in the game. So, and I am not perfect about this, I will admit that. So that is my number three. Eve number two. So for my number two, I tend to teach a lot of games. Partially that's because I host a game night. Partially that's because I have a large game collection. And I'm very excited to get my games to the table. The one thing that drives me bonkers more than anything else when I'm teaching a game is to have somebody else at the table who's played the game before stop me in the middle of the teach to start trying to teach the game themselves. And I know that they are trying to be helpful and good intended and not cause any pain. They're trying to help me. But what it ends up doing for the thing is it may lose my train of thought I, then I get flustered, and now I've forgotten what I've taught you, and I start rambling or repeating things, or the teach end up, ends up ultimately not being as good. The one thing I would say, if you are like that, and I will say I am very, very guilty of doing this myself to other people. In fact, when Justin was teaching Marikaibo recently for four players... I started doing this to him and then immediately kind of stopped stopped myself and muttered, oh, I'm just going to shut up for the rest of this teach. (laughs) And I don't even think Justin noticed, but it bothered me to do that because I know how much it bothers me to do it. Uh, I need to have it happen to me uh, as well. And I, and I think that's a big one. And everybody thinks they're being helpful when they're, when it's happening, they're not trying to be rude or whatnot, but, you know, if you have something that you think you can clarify on the teach or you think you have something to help, the big thing, if you're like me, is to just shut your mouth, let the teach happen. And then if it didn't get explained anywhere during the teach, bring it up at the end. Be like, hey, by the way, what about this mechanic or that mechanic? It's totally okay while a teach is happening to ask a question if you don't understand something about the teach. Like, how does this mechanic you just explained work? That's totally fair, right? I don't think that's anything what I'm I'm talking about here. It's the it's the happy helper that has played the game before and oh well this on this part of the board you move on you move your adventurer on this part of the thing and then they get this and this. Wait a minute, that's coming. I'll get to that, you know. I find myself when people interrupt me like that in a teach now, just hang on, I'll get to that in a moment. It's coming, you know, and I'll you know, just kind of stop them and correct them as as somebody that's had to deal with it now and learn to deal with it. But that's my number two. Brian? All right, so I guess jumping kind of from Suzanne's number three, I'm going to take it up to another level of irritation to me. <laughs> it's like pretty much the same topic she had as just distraction and kind of not knowing what you're doing. Like, 
I related it more to, you know, people who start playing a game, but then they, like, for some reason, just completely aren't paying any attention to what they're doing. Like, she said, like, you'll get to their turn, and it's like, oh, hey, your turn. It's like, oh, what game are we playing here? And you have to, like, tell them, catch them up on everything that happened and stuff like that. Um, otherwise, also, like, if somebody is playing a game and they end up having, like, a conversation the whole time with somebody else, you know, like, small talk's fine, whatever. Like, you can talk about stuff, like, while it's other people's turns and everything like that, but if, like, the game becomes the side thing than the conversation, like, it's really frustrating. It can make, like, a game take longer. It can be harder to, like, you know, play the game if you're trying to think something out or play or interact with the other players and stuff like that, and people are just totally checked out, so... It's definitely irritating. It's like, I'm here to play a game. Let's play the game. Um, and generally, I guess any solution or remedy to that is just be aware. Like, you can still be at a game night or something like that. And maybe, like, something's going on or you're distracted or something like that. You could just, like, hang out or just hold your conversations for later if you have something that important to talk about. And of course, you know, you could get, like, a phone call or something in the middle of the game. And maybe you just got to you know, hey, take a break for a minute kind of thing. But, you know, try and wrap it up. We're, like, the point of playing the game is to play the game. So let's focus on that. And <laughs> I guess, like, I can definitely relate to it. Like, um, Suzanne, you just pointed out, like, I'm really bad at analysis paralysis. And I know I struggle a lot more in the games where, you know, if somebody does something else and it's like, oh, crap, now I can't do that anymore. Like, I'm really bad at having backup plans. It takes me so long to think of my first plan. <laughs> it's hard to have the backup plans ready. So it really requires all my focus to stay in the game kind of thing. So that's my ramped up distraction number two. Yes, but Brian, you're at least <laughs> focused on the game. Yeah, I'm definitely it. always trying to figure out what the heck I'm doing. Yeah, so so that's not so bad. And I I will admit that I am very bad about if I've not seen someone for a really long time and we are chatty friends and we're playing a game and uh, we will wander away from the game table and go look at new cars or different things they've been doing. And <laughs> those those games take a lot longer to play. That was painful. You had that a, fun. That was a painful gaming evening. <laughs> um, I will Man. say, like, I am particularly bad at this distraction, not paying attention to the game. I tr have been trying harder to force myself to put the evil cell phone down, but I think it applies here from a thing that you can do. You're at the gaming table to play with the people at the table. Put the cell phone down. I find myself far too often being distracted with it's my turn on a game that's a pass and play on Board Game Arena or some other platform. Instead of And so, oh, hey, it's my turn. I need to take my turn. Wait a minute. I, there's time. I forgot time. I could take that turn after everybody leaves the house. So, yeah, if you see me on my cell phone while we're playing a game, 50 probably 50-50 odds I'm taking a turn on BGA. But anyways, let's dive into Justin. What do you got for your next one? Yeah, my number two is what I like to call turn shaming. 
This is a term coined by a friend of ours who we play games with. And it's basically just complaining about how long other people's turns are taking. Not everybody can play at the same pace or analyze the situation as fast as others. And what I'm talking about here, most of the time I see this happen, it's not done in any kind of polite way. It's handled rudely. It's it's making the other person feel bad for taking a really long time when you can think super fast about your turns. Like, uh, now the the big but here is that there absolutely is a reasonable limit for somebody's turn in a board game. Depending on the game, turns can take time, and there's obviously analysis paralysis depending on the game, and turns can take a long time. And when you break that kind of that reasonable limit, then I think you are disrespecting uh, the other player's time at the game and sort of hogging that time to take this egregiously long turn. Right. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, and, and like other players have said, or other people have said here, uh, take as as much as you can take the time during other players turns and think about what you're going to do and plan as much as possible that shouldn't be the reason you're taking a long term a single long turn should not be something to complain about sometimes like for me taking your time and finding that perfect action can be one of the most satisfying things to do in a board game not everybody plays the same way and again or, or can think through a turn or analyze the situation as fast again I, i'm talking about reasonable but long turns and sort of complaining uh, about a long term when it really isn't warranted. If this is something that, that bothers you, you know, I will see if long turns show up on anybody else's list. I, I would just say, just try to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Try to think about their enjoyment of the game as well. They might be building to their best turn of the game with this one long turn that they're taking. And if they just learned the game, cut them some slack, be a little forgiving if, if, it's, a, if it's a new game for them. If a comment about unreasonably long turns is really warranted, at least be polite about it. You know, I think it's that simple. So yeah, turn turn shaming is 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 my number two. I really liked how you had described it too, like getting a lot of satisfaction about, you know, putting all these pieces together and making it work. And that's like something you really value. And I think like I identify with that a lot since, you know, I feel like I'm a little known for analysis paralysis. That's because I'm like <laughs> thinking like, you know, four steps ahead kind of thing and trying to put it all together. And I'm not satisfied until I have that all lined up. And then one other thought I had, like they're sitting here complaining at you about having a long turn or whatever. And that's like breaking your conversation, just making your turn take longer kind of thing. Like <laughs> it's just like adding to it. So not only are they, you know, treating you kind of bad, they're just making their own situation worse. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah and i definitely think there's better ways to approach it like you said being polite about it or even just you know you just have to kind of uh, deal with it but i do agree there's just there's there's a limit <laughs> there are yeah. times where somebody there's, just takes forever there's a balance that that definitely needs to be struck in sort of what the average turn like this for most people and if you get someone who's just struggling like uh, also like help them out like that if there's something they're not understanding like you know maybe they don't 
necessarily want you to suggest what they do, but offer maybe, you know, if they seem to be taking a long time, it, it's a tricky one. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can definitely see a couple, a couple different perspectives on this. Yeah. But uh, Matt, what's, what's your number two? So mine actually spawned out of, and I'm going to kind of explain this one. What I mean by this is people that get too intensely involved in a game and they overpay attention to the game versus paying attention to the what other people are having fun doing. So um, this one actually spawned out of both Ben and Suzanne and my wife and I, though we haven't done it much since the pandemic, would host occasional board game days, which are basically just open days. I mean, there will be a few planned board games, but the idea is really other people bring board games. You have your collection of board games and people come over. And we had the opportunity actually at one of uh, Ben and Suzanne's uh, open board game days where we played with this couple. It was a game we really, you know, we'd played once before. My wife and I had a good time. Um, what we hadn't realized is, is this couple literally plays this game every day of the week. Like it's <laughs> like a, it's a daily thing for them. Right. So like there's probably a day, not a day of the week that they don't play this game. And so my wife and I are on like, play number two and this couple was so intense on this game i mean it was like they were super awesome like from i don't think it was out of maliciousness but it was a they knew this game inside and out so well and they were so intense on the game that my wife and i just flat out didn't have a very good time um and and it wasn't the game we enjoy the game and they were actually very nice people but it was just kind of one of those things that at some point like i think my wife and i finished playing about an hour before they did and they had it's it's like a a, a turn based game where you can basically be out of turns early but they knew the game so well that they could play for like a solid hour past us. And and we literally watched them play the game for like an hour and were just blown away by some of the stuff they did. Um, so sometimes, you know, think about it. If it's a game that you, that you know really, really well, just know your audience, try to be aware of it. Cause I, I, it was just a very frustrating experience for me. And like I said, it was a game that my wife and I went out and bought someday it'll show up. But the, uh, you know, it's 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 a game we bought. It's a game we think we'll really enjoy. But it's just, they were so intense and they knew the game so well. that And, and again, I don't think it's malicious. I think it's they're used to playing it that way every day of the week. And so when they got newbies in the game, it was just like, for us, it was just like mind-blowing to see what they were doing. And we didn't even understand 99% of what they did. Like the card combinations. And it was just, just one of my pet peeves and and it's something i try to be aware of if it's a game i play a lot when i'm playing with new people is what's the skill level of those people i'm playing with because it would be easy for me in some instance to just blow somebody out of the water because they just don't understand the mechanics so you know just kind of one of my personal pet peeves i will add to this that when i teach a game my first and foremost thought during the play of the game is to pay attention what everybody else is doing that especially the new players at the table that haven't played the game before and make sure that i'm i'm almost a coach in their corner as much as i was the teacher that taught them the game uh, and far more focused on helping them and helping them ensure that they don't do something too ridiculously stupid uh 
that <laughs> would lead to them not being not feeling like they could be at least somewhat competitive in the game. Almost to the point, or I should say to the point that I will ha- really hamper my own focus on what I should be doing in the game and oftentimes sets myself up for a middle-of-the-pack score instead of potentially scoring uh, as well as I, I could. Um, Architects of the West Kingdom, we played at Gamehole Con. Justin sat at that table. That would have been a really good example of a game that it started with some neg- potential there, some negativity from some players that sat down to the table right away, and I instantly, like, I don't want you to have a bad time at, at my table. And so I was very focused on help trying to pay attention to what they were doing and helping make sure that they understood the rules. And ultimately there was a one, two punch for that couple that was at the, t- at that, at that particular play. So yeah, I totally get what you're saying, Matt. It's something I like from my own, own perspective. And I think it's a, it's a very good lesson for people who teach games. If you want to teach games and play games with other people, you need to be aware of those other people that are playing at the table. Um, otherwise, you may not have people to play games with other than yourselves. <laughs> yeah, and another strategy that came to mind in regards to that, I'm totally spacing on the game now. Like, your favorite game, Ben, that you've played a million times. Terra Mystica? Terra Mystica, yeah. Like, you know, there's so many different factions in that game, and you've played it, like, a million times. Like, it seems like you know, you pay attention and, like, you're not going to play, like, oh, I know how to do this faction the best, and I'm going to, like, crush everybody when, you're, you know, you're playing, like, four new people or something like that. Um, like, you'll maybe take the more challenging route, learn, you know, kind of a different strategy, and not just take the easy, I know how to smash with this kind of route. So that's another, like, alternative you can do where you could still have some fun challenging yourself to try something different, even though you may already think you know all the bells and to you know win the game the best you can kind of face a new challenge and get enjoyment there yep totally so let's dive into suzanne's number two so my number two is when other players are complaining during the game saying how poorly they are doing or commenting on how someone else is just blowing everyone away and how it's for sure they're going to win and no one else has a chance. So when I recognize this as one of my pet peeves, I also realize that there are times when I get frustrated in a game and that I will do it myself. So this has been my New Year's resolution this year is to not complain during a game or not show that I'm frustrated and just keep playing and trying different strategies to get through the game. It's really easy to do that when your only gaming partner is your husband a lot of times because there's no because of COVID and there's not as many game days. So um, I think I'm succeeding at that uh, resolution. But when individuals are constantly game after game you play with them knowing that hey it's a new game and hey they want to learn a new game versus playing a game everyone knows and then they complain and say oh i'm just not getting this oh i'm just you know gotta be doing something wrong my score is going to be so bad it takes a lot of the enjoyment away Mm -hmm. from other individuals and i find myself 
feeling like I need to back off on what I'm doing for playing the game, back off on any strategy I may have, and also spend a lot of my time and energy not focused on the gameplay, but on encouraging them and telling them how great they're doing. And then I have to step back and say, hey, I'm playing with adults. I'm not playing with toddlers that I'm supposed to be teaching them how to play a game and be good sportsmen. So uh, for me, my number two is just opponents or people complaining during the entire game and most games you play with them. Peeve number one. All right. Sitting down to the table and having someone declare how they aren't going to have fun playing the game, don't like the game, or otherwise start to hate on the game that was chosen to be played. I will be one that I know I am very vocal about certain games (laughs) that I do not enjoy uh, playing, but... I don't ever sit down to the table and sit there and tell people how much I hate the game at the start of the play. Matt can very easily attest to this when we played Catan at his house, which I went on to win that game. Uh, very good about but it. I, but I did not I did not do this. But I mentioned uh, a a game that I had played at a convention and I had done the teach and the first thing the people sat down to the game sat down to the table and it came right out of their mouth was uh is this gonna be just like that other game in the series I hated that game so I'm gonna hate this and then started to immediately hate on it and it just it, it brought it brought the attitude and mood of everyone at the table to an instant like really you're gonna be that way like this is not going to be the most enjoyable experience, and you know, like I, I felt like there was even, even maybe you know, I, I could tell like the, at least one of the person that people at the table were like, oh, I'm just going to walk away. I, I feel like I should walk away right now. This is if this is going to be the experience for the next two hours, and so that's that's a big pet peeve from my point of view to you really quickly, really angrily disrupt the game experience. Before everything, before before anybody even has a chance to start to play the game, that is my big, big number one pet peeve. How about your, you, Brian? What's your number one pet peeve? Uh, I just went with straight up cheating as my worst thing. I think that's the worst experience I've faced in all of my gaming. Um, luckily, you know, we're usually playing amongst friends and stuff like that going back to like the tournament setting like i think it's really the only time i can kind of think of it happening really it was like a tournament miniature game setting and like i've played this guy a few times now i'm actually kind of worried about it at adepticon because actually the last time i'm like if i have to play this dude again i'm just gonna like tell him straight up like hey i've seen these things from you and so have a lot of other people and hopefully he's changed his ways by now kind of thing but like i can't even comprehend why people would want to go and like not play fairly kind of thing. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Of course that's going to make everybody have a bad time. So like, just don't do it. I think my, some of my solutions were more on the opposite side of this. Like 
like I don't really have any problem like icing somebody out like if they're gonna play that way like that's how I feel about this guy like if he's gonna do that like I'm just you know I'm not gonna play kind of thing and that's fine whatever um and just to make the distinction like of course you'll make rules mistakes sometimes and like I really feel bad about that when it comes up like like after playing a game it's like oh shoot I made a mistake here kind of thing like usually I catch it on like my next turn or right after I did something it's like oh dumb I did that wrong you know try and like put it back kind of thing but if you're actively going out of your way just to break the rules to win or like manipulate the games how like that's totally uncomfortable like that's just the worst. <laughs> Darn it, Brian. That's like the only way I can beat you, though. <laughs> you don't know all the rules make up the rules? That's 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 definitely my system. Nah, I'm definitely not accusing anybody on the cast of doing that. <laughs> and I, I can't think of a time anybody. in... I don't think... I, I can't think of a time I've ever seen someone actually cheat in, like, like obviously I don't play the sort of tournaments scenarios you're talking about with miniature gaming, but in terms of board games, never, I've never seen it happen amongst our friends, our friend group and other, another, you know, groups of friends that. I, yeah. Yeah. A good way to not get yourself invited back, but it definitely is a thing that I, I think if you dive into convention play, or particularly tournament play where there's maybe some prize sport or whatever on the line that you might run into or see. Yeah, sure. All right, Justin, what was your number three? Number one. Number one. Or number one. I can't count. Third, third in the list, but number one. Uh, my number one pet peeve, uh, I think, is a game killer, and it's disengagement. It basically comes down to losing interest during the game and and disengaging from from the game entirely, uh, you know, and the other people that are playing. Someone just stops caring about the game and checks out. Uh, what this is telling me when you do this is that you don't care about me or the other people that you're playing the game with enough to put forth an effort. It can happen for a number of reasons. I think most of the time I see this happen once someone starts to feel like they're losing and they don't have a chance of winning. And that can be a big bummer, but disengaging from the game is not the answer. You run the risk of bringing the whole game down, bringing the whole mood down, really just, again, killing the game, I think. If you are engaged and excited about the game, you and the other players will will enjoy the game. For possible solutions, I'm just gonna give some tough love here. If you start to disengage because you aren't doing well in the game, suck it up. Just deal with it. Most people don't win most games they play. Take some responsibility for your role and other people's enjoyment of the game. So find enjoyment in their successes. Look at the cool stuff that they did in the game and 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 see that like, hey, I could try that out the next time I play. Put forth the effort. Try to stay competitive. And honestly, you know, ask for help even if you're to that point where you're feeling like you want to check out of a game. When I teach a game, or even if I'm playing a game, even if it's competitive, I would gladly point out an optimal choice or a strategy 
if it helps somebody for, stay in the game, it prevents them from disengaging, even if it costs me a win. Like, I'd rather see the game live and everybody stay engaged than myself do better. So, yeah, that's that's my number one. Can I add one thing to Justin's? Also, if Please. you are feeling that you may be disengaged before you start the game, think of your own mental status. So not I'm not talking depressed or happy. I'm talking how alert are you? Are you tired? Are you feeling foggy? And if you are just in a point mentally where you cannot handle thinking through a complex game, don't start the game then. Let everyone know, hey, I'd want to play something a little bit lighter that day, too. It's from my own experience, if I'm like that and I start a complex game, I, I can't help but check out because I cannot handle making it through the game. So, Yeah, and, and I, and I am trying to say that this is more of a situation where you're kind of checking out on purpose as a choice uh. because you're like, I'm done with this, you know. Versus like, yeah, obviously, if, if you're just tired, you may just check out naturally. Um, I'm a little more talking about it, it's a good point you bring up, uh, but I just want to kind of make that distinction of I think that the thing that bothers me is when someone kind of does this on purpose and kind of throws the game or, you know, takes the ball and goes home, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it almost feels gotcha. like a little malicious when it happens. You yes. know what I mean? It's like it's. There's almost like a malice to it at that point. It's like whatever, you know. I'm not having like, fun. You guys so don't get to have whatever. fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I'm yeah. gonna throw my stuff on the table and call it a day. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, Matt, what uh, what's your number one pet peeve? So, so my number one is actually very similar to some of the other people's previous ones, and for me, it is really the thing that bothers me most when I play games is the people that. I mean, it, it all kind of follows in this theme of somewhat disengagement, somewhat that it's that same, you know, when, you, when you're playing a game that lends itself to being able to look at your turn, just trying to pay attention to what's going on the board, being engaged in the game, so you can kind of think through your turn. I totally get it. And, and actually, it's kind of funny because, you know, um, you know, Brian kind of outed himself. He's one of those people that plays a little bit longer. But Brian is not one of those people I would ever call out for this because Brian is always engaged in the game. If Brian's taking a long term, because it's like he said, he's thinking four steps ahead. And I will say for a guy that does that, he will always play a game better the first time than I do because I will play quickly. Um, you know, I'm not saying you have to play quickly. What I'm saying is, is like Justin said, there's a reasonable time limit, but there are some people that just, it drives me nuts when they're not paying attention. They don't, they're not even looking at the board when it's not their turn and suddenly it's their turn. And they're like, um, like some of the other people called out, it's like magically, Oh my God, what the hell happened? I totally am respectful of the fact that there are certain games. Uh, I think worker placement games are particularly vulnerable to this where, you know, I had my plan in my head and then Ben went and he put the worker where I wanted to put it. And now I've got to completely rethink my turn not talking about those scenarios, but there are certain games like one of the Ben's favorites settlers of Catan. There's no reason you can't be thinking ahead for two or three actions that you might do. Um, there's other games I've played with um, Suzanne, like um, 
and Lords of Waterdeep is a little bit of a worker placement, but there's a lot of things that you can kind of think about, like I might do this or I might do that, or I might do this on my turn. And, and it just drives me nuts when people don't think about it. I mean, I had a crew and this is actually prior to playing with any of you guys. We used to play Settlers of Catan. It probably came out at least once a month and it got so bad with several of our players that like two of us would actually pulling off one of your pet peeves from some of others pet peeves from earlier we would play a game of magic on the side (laughs) because it took them so long to play their turns we would play a game of magic and then when it was our turn we'd be like and i'm done and then we'd wait 10 minutes for the next person to go i mean it was you know that's egregious that's egregious like you said (laughs) really taking your time so um you know just I think it falls in that same theme. Be engaged with a game. Pay attention. It doesn't mean you can't have a good conversation with somebody. It doesn't mean you can't have some fun and joke with people or or catch up with the friend. But, you know, try to think a little bit about your turn on a game that's maybe a little crunchier. Like, what might I do? You know, or and if you really don't know when your turn rolls around, I, I love Justin's advice. Don't be afraid to ask somebody and be like, I really don't know what the hell I would do here. So uh, just kind of my personal number one we've hashed this one a couple of times on this but the more it keeps coming up the more i i I think about it something that just popped in my head and something that i think i do at the game table is pay attention to the turn order in Mm -hmm. even those games where like Alhambra is a good example of a game that the game state changes dramatically from player turn to player turn. But mm-hmm. let's say I'm following Justin and Justin is taking cards. Well, I can kind of anticipate, you know, based on what cards maybe are left that he's taken. There you are. are those cards I want uh, or do I want to, you know, what what uh, little structures I can add to my Alhambra, you know, are those things that I want? I can start thinking about it, start starting to make that decision. Lords of Waterdeep, it's a worker placement game, but okay, Justin just took his turn or is about to take his turn. Well, he's got these four places or six places or 10 places on the board he could go. What's my, if Justin takes that spot, this is the spot I'm going to take. You know, mm-hmm. or, but that's a stop. But that's definitely the spot I really want, right? I can already have that in in mind, so that when Justin finishes his turn, it should be much more quick for me to just grab my worker and place it on that on that spot, and then do that action and resolve, and then go to my and then it goes to the next player. Being paying attention, who's on deck, basically. This yeah. is this is what I'm definitely guilty of. I'm not a great. Uh pre-planner for board games i, I kind of think of myself as a reactive kind of player uh and it's so it's good to hear these suggestions honestly from you guys like i think this is something suzanne said too like think think about what your other options are if something goes wrong like get some contingency plans and that's something that i need to improve in my own plays of complex games i don't think through contingencies like well enough and it's not something that's in the forefront of my mind all the time so that's I, I I'm I'm getting some good advice for some of this stuff too, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I think Ben's point was was well taken earlier, in my opinion. 
part of the reason we wanted to have this discussion, and, and frankly, even some of us chiming in going, I know I'm guilty of that. If nobody ever says it to you, would you know you were doing it wrong? So, you know, I think it's that's that's the great thing about a list like this is we're taking the opportunity to voice the things that drive us nuts. And these are not conversations I think we've ever had at the table, have we? I think we've all learned something. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. you might get hints of it, but. So I think Suzanne's final number one pet peeve ties a little bit into what we just were talking about, but takes it up to another notch. So Suzanne, why don't you tell us about your number one pet peeve? My number one pet peeve is one I have to bite my tongue on so often when I see it played happening because I do not like confrontation. And it'd be something that would be very confrontational, I think, in some games. Is when you take your or a player takes their turn, completes their turn, next player starts going, and it could be the next one or two, and suddenly that player that has already completed their turn goes, wait, wait, wait. It's not what I meant to do, or wait, wait, wait. I want to change what I did. It's not going to mess up what anyone else is going to do or has done. Takes back their turn and redoes it. Now the play order is kind of messed up. Now some of their, some of the strategy that they were thinking about, maybe the people after them actually would have thought of something different. And it's just very aggravating for me that they have taken their turn, said, hey, I'm done, thought about it, even though they've had all this time to plan ahead of time, decided they want to take it back. It's very disruptive to me. I like to think about it kind of with chess, where once you take your hand off the piece that you move, your move is done, you've committed to it. So once you say on move that you're done, you're done unless someone says, wait, you can't do that before the next player goes. Mm -hmm. so, that is my number one pet peeve. As you can see, I get a little worked up about it. I, I can understand <laughs> that. I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, but I'm, I feel like I'm one of those people who I may grump because I screwed up. But once I say I'm done, I'll be like, nope, I screwed up. I should have totally done something different and I'm going to live with that. But uh <laughs> I can I can see where that would drive you nuts because it just breaks up the flow of the day and it's just like whoa now we got to put everything back and right and if you're someone like you are Matt and I'm the same way where hey I made the turn and there are a few times where I'll like when we're first learning a game and I'll beg Ben to let me take the turn back uh, but generally <laughs> once my turn's done I want to be. I'm done with it. So then if someone else is taking their turns back, I'm like, well, wait, I, that's not fair because I didn't get to take my turn back type of thing too and get very petty about it. And then I start going down the little kid rabbit hole and start in my head, start acting like the little toddler that's stomping their feet. And then the fun of the game gets to be kind of over. I think the only caveat I ever throw at that is, and, and I, I agree with you completely with getting whatever, we're a couple people past. But one of the things I always like to say is like, especially like something Ben, you commented and hired, uh, nailed on earlier is, you know, when we're teaching a new game, 
sometimes if somebody goes and let's just say whatever, they're a brand new player and they're about to do something and it hits the end of their turn and I'm like, oh, that's really egregious and you're going to like totally screw yourself for the rest of the game. <laughs> I might say something before they pass their turn or right after they said, I think I'm done. Just be like, yeah, we might want to pull that back just because I don't think you understand the mechanic here. There are some, like, I, I, I think of that as more of an ignorance versus a, I just decided. And then two minutes later, I decided something that I had a much better strategy now that I've had time to think about it. So. Yeah, there's a big difference between taking your turn back for a strategic change because you saw something better or mm-hmm. and or like someone pointing out, hey, I think, you know, you're new <laughs> or or they just made a mistake. I mean, I, I personally am pretty forgiving on turn take backs for mistakes, even in cases where it's like, oh, but I was supposed to get this extra resource or whatever. Like, usually I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's it's fine. But taking a turn back for like i i want to change what i did that's a big no-no right i mean i think most of us can agree on that yeah no it's it's extending your turn now into other players turns instead of getting to your next turn right and starting to think through what you were going to do next i will say like i have to encourage suzanne when we're doing a first playthrough sometimes and she finishes her turn and I haven't even touched the board, and she starts to panic. She'll start to panic, like, oh my god, I did the wrong thing, I did this, this is stupid, what I did. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I haven't even started my turn. Just go ahead and roll it back, put the resources or whatever you gathered, and just do it again. It, we're just learning the game, we're both, don't, we don't, neither of us have a strategy, just, it's fine, right? And I think in mm-hmm. that scenario, you're, you know, it's fine, it's the, I think what Suzanne's talking about, and what I've, I've seen myself, and it, it does actually, irk me a little bit is okay we're three two or three players have went and now you're rolling back what you did and now that action space that you were occupying that yeah sure none of the rest of us took but we couldn't take it as our option that's that's egregious the only time where that might come in that i've been you know where it might come in as an okay spot is when you egregiously violated the rules with how you implemented or did that. And it, you know, almost always is a mistake, you know, that's a legit mistake in my mind. Okay. Now we, we might even roll back several players turns in that case to restore the game state and then try to readvance it because, because of that egregious rules mistake. I think that wraps up our main topic and, I think what we find is that all we all end up on each other's pet peeves lists. We all do all of these things we talk about. That doesn't mean that we still don't enjoy playing the games together. I think, Matt, you just mentioned, I think talking about it just brings us extra awareness that we can better be better players and enjoy the games that we play together as a group uh, even more at the table. So having this opportunity to bring these things to the light is that first step to having more enjoyable games as a group. We also hit our hobby projects. Well, we hit Brian's hobby projects anyways. <laughs> and uh, then we also started out the show with some of the games we've been playing. And with that, 90 episodes of Whisker Dice are in the bag. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. 
Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.